Jaguars Digital. Jaguars. Jaguars Digital. Jaguars Drive Time. Brian Sexton. John Osher. Ashlyn Sullivan. Jaguars Drive Time starts right now. Well, happy Tuesday. Good morning. Sunsplash Field at Everbank. Just a minute ago, we were looking at the Hartbridge Expressway. I always marvel at how peaceful it looks. You know, people are out there maybe listening on TuneIn. There it is. Um, everything's moving along swimmingly, and, and yet when I'm out on that road, I'm not in here, I think, my God, let me get off this traffic. You should see me road rage now. Are you? You rage that way? No. I, I drive so peaceful. that road rage, road rage today. <laughs> we know that during drive time, it, it, it often isn't peaceful. But we hope you're having a nice morning here. Brian Sexton, along with John Osier and Ashlyn Sullivan for Jags Drive Time. Got a big show for you today. One thing we want to start with, uh, something new as we get set for a five-day work week for this program starting in the fall. Have we announced that yet? Well, we just did. Uh, Here it is. It's going to be Monday through Friday, 830 to 9.30 on this program every single day. One of the things we want to do is a Twitter poll, get you engaged in the program since we stream live on Twitter. Um, and today we have a Twitter poll up. In fact, it probably is out there right now. Thanks to Darnell and the great folks over in Digital and Social for getting it out there. And we're asking you to answer this question. Which AFC South team offers the greatest challenge to the Jaguars repeating as division champions. So let us know what you think. Obviously, Colts, Texans, Titans, and then no one. What do you know? What do you think? We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good morning. I'm going to say the Jaguars offer their biggest challenge. Do you? Okay. We'll you'll get back you'll to go that in on that day. a little bit more. Sure. How's your week been so far? Oh, it's been awesome, right? <laughs> and speaking so of road rage, Ashlyn, how are you? I'm great. Okay. I didn't have any road rage. Okay, good. I got here nice and early. All right, good. I did not. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's going to be a challenge for you, just to kind of adjust your schedule a little bit. Haven't been late yet. No, you really haven't. Yeah. Nope. You haven't no. been early yet either, but... Yeah. On time is on time. That's right. I guess so. I guess so. I don't live by coffin time. I live by zone time. <laughs> I think everybody who's <laughs> watching right now can certainly appreciate that. So don't forget the Twitter poll. Also, since we're streaming live on Facebook as well, if you've got comments, Ashlyn over there with her computer in front of her will be perusing them. So basically, in the last block of the show, we're going to see how interactive we can be with your thoughts and comments. Both hands on the wheel, especially on the Heartbridge Expressway. Mm -hmm. But if you are in a position where you can join us, we'd love to have your thoughts in this morning program. Our presentation, Drive Time. So let's start with big things. Let's do it. Big thing number one is rookies. They are here at the stadium for the first time this week. Ever since 2015 when Dante Fowler Jr. tore that ACL during rookie minicamp, this program has changed a little bit. So guys, we're looking at this year. How do you think it'll differ at all from last season? Well, the weekend, uh, this weekend, I uh, probably won't. It's, it, it's, it's very much an orientation. I've been asked by people, it, in the old days, they used to open this. And I've been asked by people, uh, why don't they open it now? Well, there's not much to see is the biggest reason. It's, 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 it's practice. The media doesn't even really get to watch it. Uh, it's very much don't a walkthrough. Very, right. And, uh, it, it's, it's very much a walkthrough, very much, let's get these guys ready. So that they know the schedule, that they know the drills, what's going to be expected, the pace of things, and get them ready for when they, uh, the OTAs start and the on field start stuff with the veterans a little later in May. You know, now everybody, I say everybody, the 32 teams all have their own philosophy of how this goes. Uh, 2015, so that would be three rookie camps ago. 
I was standing next to Dan Edwards, and we're out there just chatting. You know, it's a bright, sunny day. It feels like minicamp. The rookies are running around. And by the way, it's not just the draft class and the undrafted. They have a long list mm-hmm. of guys who were invited for tryouts so that they could have enough guys to actually go through some of these things. And there's also some first-year guys who yeah. were around but don't have the experience to actually be veterans. So it's, it's that bunch. So we're watching, and all of a sudden, down goes Dante Fowler. Couldn't tell the number. Didn't even know the number at that point. We were just handed the roster at first. And I turned to Dan and I said, is that the rookie first-round picked out? And he said, I believe that it is. And, of course, we know he missed that season. And since then, the Jaguars changed their approach, which – in retrospect, is really smart because mm-hmm. these guys are not in football shape. Now, no. the injury was fluke. He wasn't even engaged with anybody. His knee just buckled. But it really changed the approach to the rookie minicamp. As you said, it's more about getting them in and getting them up to pace, up to speed, not just on the field but in the weight room, how they're going to work with Tom Islinski and his It's team. so that they're ready to work. You know how it is right. on your first day of work. You, You're all over the place. And yeah. You walk in, you don't know what's going on, so they want these guys to be as ready as possible, in essence, so they don't get in the veterans' way. As much as anything, so that those guys can work and then the rookies can catch up and uh, not get in the way of everything gets going. Now, go back to Fowler. We, that was a disappointment. I mean, for everybody, because we were anticipating seeing this guy on the field, and the Jaguars certainly needed the pass rush at that point. They were still a team struggling to create pressure on the quarterback. It's different this year mm-hmm. for the rookie class because, as you've written and national folks have observed, none of these guys may start, which is the first time we've had this in a while. Well, the team hopes they don't start because for most of these guys, if they start, um, something else has gone wrong. If someone's injured. Who starts if everything else goes uh, right? I I don't think they want Will Richardson on the field at all this year. You would like Harrison as a special teams player. Nobody below that except the punter. And uh, Taven Bryan, you know, it's almost not fair in this day and age to say that Shark and Brian won't be starting because there's really 15, 16 guys on each side of the ball who matter like starters. So to say that they won't be involved is to misrepresent what they want from those guys, but they won't be number one on the depth chart unless something goes wrong. It's really interesting about this, Ashlyn, is that when we were growing up, right, and John followed the Redskins and I followed the St. Louis Cardinals and then then the Kansas City Chiefs when the Cardinals went to Arizona, first-round picks didn't come in with the expectation of starting there was the rare player that was so good uh but overall rookies were were brought along and we're for the first time i think in my professional career which is 25 seasons we're at a point where we're back to that where this roster has enough players that you don't have to say the right tackle needs to start the safety needs to step in well it's really rare because really rare we started covering the league 93 and 94 remember that was right after free agency began and it was a few years after, it, in the old days, when I was growing up watching it, there was really no free agency. So the only way you could churn your roster was getting guys right. through trade, mm-hmm. or you could get guys who were released, or rookies. So as a result, you would have 18, 19, 20 starters coming back on a team, and it would be notable when a guy started, especially for the good teams. So the thought that rookies come in right away, Ashlyn, is a product of uh, free agency, which was 93 and 94, which came along. Right, and you look at this team's free agency the past few years, they've acquired so many needs during that time that now the draft, it's like they're just adding depth, which mm-hmm. is a good thing to have. Yeah, and as you said, really, really rare to be in this position. So just you, you set the expectation level for what Harrison should be this year, which is a terrific special teams player, maybe a spot performer where they need him. How about the first two picks, though? Um, 
what's a fair expectation for Taven Bryant's contribution? And I'm not saying number of tackles or sacks or any of that. Uh, same thing for DJ Chark, who, with Moncrief in front of him, doesn't have to step in and be the big play threat right away. I would put uh, – you obviously want more from Brian because it's a position where you would think the defensive line is going to rotate. Um, if you think about Smoot's play last year, I would expect him to be contributing a little quicker than Smoot. He's first-round pick compared to a third-round pick. Right. Uh, he's a guy who they expected at some point to be a star down the road. I, I don't know that they expect Smoot to be a star on that level. They expect him to be a very good player. Uh, so I would go back. Look, Smoot, I, I think Smoot played 250 to 300, if memory serves, plays. Uh, started playing more at the end of the season when they wanted to give uh, Calais Campbell a little, bit of, a little bit of a break. So I would think you'd see him... Smoot just played on that outside end spot. I would think you'd see Bryant play a little bit there and a little bit inside, try to figure out where he works best. And I think it's fair to expect some more impact than you got from Smoot last year. Smoot had a couple of decent plays uh, and played very well in terms of getting them through spots where Campbell wasn't in. But I would think you'd see Bryant make a little bit more of an impact. Shark, I think you'll see him uh, probably have you'll feel like he's contributing more because he's an offensive guy and every catch will be noticeable. You know, 30, 35 catches. You know, uh, if if he can stretch the field, it, he can make an impact without actually having stats. I'll be interested, by the way, in how the Jags use Brian. Because, you know, on draft night, they talked about how he can play a couple of different roles for mm-hmm. them. He can play the three, he can play the five, he can play the seven, he can play a couple of different, the strong end um, in particular. You know, with rookies they have around here, kind of focus them in one area. If they just have Taven Bryan playing that three technique, it would seem to me their expectations are greater than if he plays the three and mm-hmm. the five. You mm-hmm. know, Then they're just trying to, well, not just, but they're working him in two different spots, trying to have him part of the rotation. I think if he just works at the three, well, then it says we expect him to be a guy who contributes in the role we give him. Right. I'm really interested to see how he learns and how quickly he will. When you're going up against that defensive line and you're with them every day, think how quick he'll learn from guys like Calais Campbell and Malik Jackson. His first day in that rep line, that's going to be exciting. And that's supposedly his MO. is He's a hard worker, good learner, and he should catch on fast. And I talked to Jerry Sullivan, the old Jaguars wide receiver coach, about Shark yesterday. He loves the guy. He said if he was coaching the NFL, this is the kind of kid he would want. He started uh, – Working with the coach who worked with him, he was a consultant last year, Jerry was, but he was able to watch the kids' progress, and he said absolutely that he's got the talent, there's some stuff he needs to work on in terms of hands, but the character, the things that he likes, uh, I got the idea that he liked Shark in the same way that he liked A-Rob, Hearns, Lee, that bunch felt like talking to Jerry about those guys, which obviously look what he did with those guys. All right, so rookie minicamp this week. They'll be in later in the week, and we will not obviously be out on the practice field, but we'll get a chance to talk to some of the guys on Friday and uh, head coach Doug Marone. So we'll have a wrap of that next week here on Jags Drive Time. Don't forget our Twitter poll, which is up and out there right now. Which team in the AFC South is the greatest challenge for the Jaguars as they look to repeat as South Division champions for the first time since they did it back in 98 and 99, back in the old AFC Central. Facebook thoughts as well. Ashland's all over that one. When we return to Jags Drive Time here on a beautiful Tuesday in Jacksonville, it's Big Thing 2 and Big Thing 3. We'll go to the veteran side of the ball when we get back.
on TuneIn Radio and JAG social channels. What do you call a pack of Jaguars? A jamboree. The Jacksonville Jaguars want to offer a big thank you to the five local companies who've made the Jaguars Jamboree a party that never stops. Everbank, Baptist Health, Dreamfinders Homes, Publix, and U.S. Assure. Each of these partners provides unmatched support and dedication to the team year in and year out and help make game day special. Jaguars fans, join the Jamboree and support these companies and all the partners who support the team. Jags fans, experience Everbank Field like never before. Visit jaguars.com slash tours and book a guided behind-the-scenes tour. Hear stories of great plays by Jaguars legends. Get up close and personal with the famous video boards and see why the travel channel named Everbank Field is one of the 15 bucket list destinations for any football fan. Discounts available for children, first responders, and military. Visit jaguars.com slash tours for tickets and details. See you at the bank. Back to Jags Drive Time on this Tuesday morning here with big thing number two. We're looking at veterans now. The whole team, veterans and rookies, adding them together, looking at a few position groups here like running back guys. And they didn't draft a running back. You don't have a rookie to fill in that spot. Now what? Yeah, and this is the time, obviously, of year where you start looking at big round things mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to the specifics of it. You wrote a column yesterday. It's a story mm-hmm. up on Jaguars.com where you look position by position. Um, I thought the the running back one was interesting because it's an area they didn't address in the draft Mm. for whatever reason. And when you've got a running back like Leonard Fournette, who's that big physical bruising guy, my belief is you're going to need another one just like that because that's your personality. It's your style. T.J. Yeldon's not that guy. Uh, Corey Grant, not that guy. Both of them have a role here. So how do they address it? Well, um, I had at least one guy in the personnel department say, we're excited about what we think we're going to get from T.J. Yeldon this year. Mm-hmm. You're right. So uh, clearly, and and you know, last year Yeldon wasn't even active, healthy but not active until Indianapolis, and he came out with a huge game, 122 yards and the 58 yard touchdown against the Colts. Had a big game with a couple of plays that stand out in the passing game in Pittsburgh in the playoffs. So clearly, they're comfortable with where T.J. Yeldon stands as a part of the offense. I think that's the biggest thing to remember. I, I think Tim Cook, who's fourth right now in that group, has a chance at some point. Um, it's easy to always look back on what happened in the past and think, well, that has to be the way it is uh, going forward. Yeldon's role was a little bit more of a third down back, catch the ball out of the backfield spot when Ivory and Fournette weren't in. When I asked about this, well, why didn't you draft a running back to play in back of Fournette. And what I was told is look at how it broke down at the end of last season. Chris Ivory, who everybody thought they sort of had to replace, didn't play in the last two regular season games, didn't play in two or three playoff games. He wasn't getting on the field. So their thought was we don't have to replace an element that was not playing a key role. The X factor there is does Fournette stay healthy enough Mm -hmm. where that doesn't bite him? But they believe that Yeldon can be effective at moving a little bit more into uh, what Chris Ivory did last year. So you can't really base it all on how it played out last year. When you look, like, say worst case scenario, if Fournette does get hurt, and then you look at all of that depth chart, do you think the Jaguars are okay with what they have right now? 
Um, I think they're okay if Yeldon is what they started to believe he was last year. Remember at the end of at the beginning of last year, you could tell when Doug started talking about Yeldon right before the Indianapolis game that he it's sometimes tough as a coach to manage the roster. You want to get all guys in and there's and there's times you're playing guys and you can't get a guy in. You could tell he sort of rethought TJ Yeldon and he said publicly a couple of times, we need to get this guy in the game more. We like what he's doing. So I think a lot of that thought that Doug was showing publicly last year went on again in the offseason. They said, you know what? TJ Yeldon deserves a chance to be the backup, deserves a chance to be the guy Fournette can't go. We don't think of him like that because we really haven't seen that sort of production out of him. That's how they're thinking of TJ. You know, my answer to your question is this. In today's game, if you have a good backup, you're okay, mm-hmm. right, at quarterback. But if you lose your starter, you're in trouble. If Fournette's gone for any length of time, I think they're in trouble because their personality is so built on him and right. their ability to pound the ball. I think that would be okay with Yeldon. Uh, I think Corey Grant is a guy who, you know, we saw him in the season finale in 16 in Indianapolis run for over 100 yards and added some big plays. I saw him walking in the other day. He looks terrific, by the way. Yeah. Not that he doesn't always look good. He's a very— He said the same about you. I ran into him. He said, gosh, Brian looks good. We do what we can. He looks ready to play. Yeah, we do. But but Grant, I asked him. I said, you know, the question that I get most often this offseason at a Rotary Club or a Mm -hmm. Civic Group or wherever I am is, how come Corey didn't get the ball more in the AFC Championship? He just smiles. I said, you've been asked that too. He said, yeah. I said, you want the ball? He goes, yes, he wants the ball. So they're good. They're comfortable with what they've got. But keeping Fournette healthy is a priority for this football team because he's more than just the starting running back. He really is the hammer, the personality on the Mm -hmm. offensive side. Um, You know, tight end is another position that this team was thought to have high on its list and going to address. Um, They did in free agency with Austin Safarian Jenkins and Niles Paul added to Ben Koyak. Um, but in talking to some guys and, and not just the Jags personnel guys, the impact of a rookie tight end historically has Minimal. not, yeah, right. it has not been that good. Yeah. And so spending a pick at a position where you're not going to expect a lot, where you can find some veterans seems to make more sense for this football team. And guys that I talked to said, the, you know, even the top guys, the Hursts of the world, uh, and the Dallas Goddards their impact this year likely to be a lot less than people think. All right, the best tight end I've covered in terms of receiver was Dallas Clark and Indy, and he had an impact. I believe I believe his coming out year was 03. Didn't really make an impact in that offense till 04, 05, and this is a kid who was playing in a pass-oriented offense, had the skill set, was a first-round pick, was very similar in terms of when he came in to Hurst and Goddard and that bunch. So to think you're going to get huge impact at a rookie tight end is is uh, probably a little bit much. I thought they might go with the position just because if they got somebody there that it would have that stretch the field effect. They clearly believed that they could get that more out of DJ Shark than they could out of the tight end position. Either way, it seems like they got it. Well, and don't forget that in the playoff game in Pittsburgh, and, and really through the playoffs, both Ben Koyak and James O'Shaughnessy, mm-hmm. young veterans, gave them some plays in the passing game. And there's the opportunity for both of those guys to improve this offseason and see what they've got. And especially at that spot, you're talking in, in O'Shaughnessy and Koyak, guys who were drafted into this league. So their philosophy here was, especially once they got past the first three or four uh, rounds, because they said they looked at tight end early, they liked the idea, but they just couldn't get to it. Sometimes that happens in the draft. 
rather than go with a fifth-round tight end who you had to develop, well, they've already got a couple of those guys on the roster. They've already got uh, O'Shaughnessy. They've already got Koyak. It's, it's, it's sort of the same philosophy they took with linebacker. Rather than go after a, a fifth-round strong-side linebacker, well, we've got one of those. We got it last year in Blair Brown. So there's a belief that guys who have been in the system for a year have had time to develop. If, if they're fourth- or fifth-round picks, they're going to be more prepared to play right now than a second-round rookie would be at a lot of spots. Any other groups that stand out to you? As you, I mean, I imagine since you did offense yesterday, you might have a defensive story coming soon. Uh, yeah, I might... <laughs> I might Did I just bump. give you that idea? Yeah, well, it's uh, I gotta write that up now. Thanks a lot, Laurent. <laughs> yeah. uh, probably linebacker stands out on defense because it's a strange position in that sometimes fans panic when they see a a position on the depth chart where they haven't heard or seen everybody. And I th- and I, th- I had a question the other day about the problem at strong side linebacker. Well. It's a problem at strong side linebacker unless Blair Brown can play. To me, they looked at Blair Brown last year and said, we need a guy who can come in and play strong side, probably play 30, 35% of the snaps. He doesn't have to be a multi-dimensional player in that role. He can be a one-dimensional guy who can play on first down for now. Maybe he's more than that, but what they need him to be is a 30% of the downs first down player. Uh, so if, if they thought he couldn't do that, they would have moved that up on the priority list. They've obviously seen enough in him to think that he can be that guy. The question becomes what happens after that. The depth at that spot concerns you a little bit only because you haven't heard of the guys who are depth, and that will be a concern if Telvin, if Miles can't play. Last year, remember, when Telvin couldn't play for a couple of games, Paul Pazlesny came in, played out of position a little bit for what he had been doing, but played at a very high level that he didn't miss a beat. Do they have that depth at linebacker? Well, and, and obviously they drafted a linebacker, the kid from Wisconsin in the seventh round. Right. He's more of a strong side guy, so we'll watch his development and see if he can provide some quality depth as we go through this. Um, Ashlyn, big yes. thing three. Big thing three. So you talked about the Twitter poll defending the AFC South. We're looking at the next few weeks all of those teams, but this week we're looking at the Houston Texans. Now, they didn't draft until the fourth selection in the third round, guys. So I don't think the storyline is more so the draft this year. It's about the injury-prone players that are coming back. Deshaun Watson, J.J. Watt, those guys. That's one. Yeah. Uh, Two is the fact that this is a team that's had to rebuild through free agency. Their offensive line was atrocious last year. If you remember, 10 sacks they allowed the Jaguars. That started the Saxonville train rolling down the Mm -hmm. tracks on opening day. Um, So... They did try in free agency and the draft to improve the offensive line. And and the storyline, if you recall, on draft day was, well, the Texans really got their draft last year mm-hmm. when yep. they traded those picks, got out of Brock Osweiler's salary and drafted Deshaun Watson. Get that. But Deshaun Watson's coming back from the knee, and he's going to need the offensive line. To me, line two, one is the defensive starters returning. Storyline two is have they improved their offensive line enough to give Deshaun Watson some protection. Yeah, and to me, if I'm the Texans, if I'm covering the Texans, that's storyline one because Watson showed that he can be good last year. He showed during a six-game stretch that he can get through that first part of the order. I always liken it to a baseball pitcher. A quarterback can look very good early. Teams are going to figure him out. Can he be a mobile guy to buy himself time? I didn't watch him enough last year to know exactly how he was playing. But if his game is built on – 
quickness, elusiveness, getting away, athleticism in the backfield. Can he do that now that the knee is different? Secondly, can the Texans' offensive line protect well enough to give him the time he needs? The way Jack, you know, there's sort of a, a thing out there that, well, if Deshaun Watson had played last year, then the Jaguars' season would have been different because the Texans would have been better. The Texans are favored over the Jaguars to go to the Super Bowl in, in, in one odds thing I saw. There's this perception that if Deshaun Watson had played, then the Texans' season would have been entirely different. It's a lot of pressure on a young kid yeah. coming back, well, but that's from what ACL it, in November. You know, that's what the odds say. Right. So can that offensive line be good enough? I don't particularly care who was a quarterback in that first game against the, Tex- against the Texans for the Jaguars. You have 10 sacks and that kind of pressure, nobody was going to be able to function on that no. side. So to me, you're exactly right. The offensive line, I wonder at this point about J.J. Watt. Um, he's a otherworldly player. It's been a long time since he's been that guy. Eight games in the last two seasons. That's all he's played. So you're almost talking about the same story with Luck and with Watt, Luck in Indianapolis. Are these guys actually going to get back? You hope they do for the sake of the game. Eight games in two seasons, you say it's a lot. I don't. I have more questions about the Texans than I do answers going in. All right, so one more question area, and then we can talk about where they added on the, uh, on the defensive side of the ball, running back. Lamar Miller was okay. Pretty good player. I think he had a 100-yard game against this team once in the last two years since he went from Miami to uh, to Houston. Good but, player, but he needs good around. Right. Well, and then so they're, they're backing a lot on Deonta Foreman, but he tore his Achilles, and he did that in November. That isn't the injury that you come back from. No. It, it has sidelined more careers than guys have come back from it. Their running game needs to be able to help Deshaun Watson, and that's the question mark I have. I get the talent on defense, Merciless is there. Clowney is a game wrecker. They add Tyron Matthew, and he wrecked the Jaguars mm-hmm. uh, with mm-hmm. that interception in Arizona late in the year. And Aaron Colvin's a good player. But to me, if they can't run the ball and help Watson, that defense is going to be on the field a lot. More questions and answers for that, Dan. Yeah. And, right. I, and I think most of it circles back to the offensive line. Can they function at – at some point, it's probably going to come down head-to-head Jaguars and uh, Texans at some point. Can that offensive line function against this defensive line? And as you mentioned, most of the odds makers think that the Texans are the biggest challenger to the Jaguars when it comes to the AFC South Division title in 2018. What do you think? We'll find out when we return with our Twitter poll for the very first time here on Jags Drive Time on TuneIn Radio and Jags social media channels. Back in 60 seconds. Everbank Field like never before. Visit jaguars.com slash tours and book a guided behind-the-scenes tour. Hear stories of great plays by Jaguars legends. Get up close and personal with the famous video boards and see why the travel channel named Everbank Field is one of the 15 bucket list destinations for any football fan. Discounts available for children, first responders, and military. Visit jaguars.com slash tours for tickets and details. See you at the bank. What do you call a pack of Jaguars? A jamboree. The Jacksonville Jaguars want to offer a big thank you to the five local companies who've made the Jaguars jamboree a party that never stops. Everbank, Baptist Health, Dreamfinders Homes, Publix, and U.S. Assure. Each of these partners provides unmatched support and dedication to the team year in and year out and help make game day special. 
Jaguars fans, join the Jamboree and support these companies and all the partners who support the team. All right, rolling right along here on Tuesday morning. Brian Sexton, John Osier, Ashlyn Sullivan, Jags Drive Time. And, um, you know, we just came up with the idea of the Twitter poll yesterday. We're excited about it, but we don't know where to find it. So you're looking for it? I'm looking for it. I see it. I'm looking for the answers. I know there's 830 votes. Wow. But I'm looking to see what those votes mean. Okay, you you, you get us back up to speed here. I could lean over and help her, but that'd be horrible television radio. (laughs) Yeah, and I don't think you can help her. Oh, I don't know. I'm He's pretty, hip with the social media. That's what media. they call tech savvy. Oh, that's what they call me. Okay. John Osier, tech savvy. I find that hard to believe. Well, let's go to Ozone, unless you've got it. I don't need your help. Get out you here. Got, John Osier. You're voting IT for none of IT specialist. Titans. All right. I so, voted for Titans. So what do you got? All right, Ozone. Let's go with Frank from Ponte Vedra Beach here. Bill Polian was quoted as saying, the best way to avoid a quarterback controversy is to not have a quarterback competition. Do the Jaguars subscribe to that school of thought? Zone. Brian, I'm so tired. Of? You can't take this anymore? I mean... You just tried to explain it, and people won't come to the water. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I've i already done the beating the head on the desk thing. Yeah, so it's a good visual, but I'm not going to do it today. <laughs> right. Um, the Jaguars believe in Blake Bortles. They believe that given what was out there... They have things going in the right direction. To make a quarterback switch this offseason for somebody either parallel or just below or to bring in competition, you talked early in the offseason and enunciated better than I could. They learned a lot about Blake Bortles last year. Not necessarily stats-wise, but the ability to handle adversity, the ability to lead this team, the ability to be the guy. This time last year, it was new. Tom Coughlin was coming in. Doug Marone hadn't worked with him. They did. They thought they liked Blake, but they didn't know. This is their guy now. He impressed him. They believe it. And I get that there are fans like Frank who every day of Blake Bortles' question, he's not the only one. I get it. But, it, you know, I guess it's just going to be a disconnect. Because when you talk to people in this building, there is not this thing of, oh, well, yeah, but we, uh, Blake, but this, it's, <laughs> this is our guy. And I know you've heard the same thing. I can't get it out of my head. Um, the Pittsburgh game. Mm-hmm. So here you go into Pittsburgh, and there's pressure not just because it's the playoffs, but to repeat, to do what you did in October, which is beat the Steelers. In you Pittsburgh. Got, in Pittsburgh. Yeah. They remember it. The fans remember it. Uh, Roethlisberger's licking his chops at the opportunity. Because remember, in the post game, he's talking about how he's washed up. Mm-hmm. Now, there's all this pressure, and he came out and staked this team to a 28-7 to lead. And then in the second half, and that was the most impressive part, in the second half, every time Roethlisberger mm-hmm. went down the field, here comes Blake. Right back down the field. And doing a lot of it mentally as well as physically. Absolutely. Yeah. He played smart in that game. The third down and eighth throw to Marquise, where he stood in the pocket and waited patiently and looked off the safety and then came back to him. May have been his best throw in the game, and most people can't even recall it because it wasn't big. But it showed that sort of savvy veteran quarterback presence that people don't give him credit for. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I get it. He didn't play flawless football in the AFC Championship game. But if you look at the entirety of the postseason on which quarterbacks are judged, he is judged to have been 
a good quarterback for this team. Judge favorably. They do. And so from my perspective, people are just going to have to understand yeah, yeah. they are building this offense around what he does well. See yeah. what comes of it. I have breaking news. You do. Dave DeCan has texted me, and I now know that you have to answer the Twitter poll to get the answers. I was trying to answer it, and you were d- doing God this number, brushing me off, saying I didn't know tech. I know tech. Okay. Well, you didn't vote, so okay. I didn't know. But you did vote for the Titans, which re- relieved these results that the Texans have won this. 42% said they would be the biggest challenge. Next, none of them at 32%. All right. So there People you are it. confident about this football team. The Texans, there you have so it. So 32% at least seem like Blake Bortles mm-hmm. is the quarterback, and they don't need a competition in camp. 32% of you. Well, I, as I said at the top, I, I think the Jaguars are the biggest foe because if they do what they do well, if they build on what they did, if they're strong in the areas they're strong, then I think they'll control this. I don't think the last game of the season has to be for the division tight end to be that tight. Um, but health, all the things you talk about, I think this is the best team in the division if they play up to that. Anything else in the zone? Yeah, let's go with Emily from Tallahassee, Florida. Last year, many expected competition between Brandon Albert and Cam Robinson to start at tackle. Could you foresee the loser of the Jeremy Parnell-Will Richardson competition at right tackle pushing A.J. Can from his starting spot on the line? Well, Brian, I don't because I don't think it's as much of a competition as the Albert-Robinson thing would have been last year. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Will Richardson is a guy that they like in 2019. They want to see him going forward. They believe he has all kinds of talent. But I've, I've got no sense that they think there's going to be a tight competition there with the other guy so talented that he kicks inside of where A.J. can. Remember the thought last year was he would kick inside to the other guard. Albert or uh, Robinson would kick inside. Or Patrick Omame. Or, you know, they had a couple right. of different guys playing guard last year. They, you know, A.J. can is not a Pro Bowl player, but there is not a feeling in the building of we've got to figure out something to do with A.J. Cann's position. They're fine with him starting. Obviously, if somebody else comes out and blows him out of the water, but... There is not a thought of we have to fix this position over here. They believe he's a good NFL player, probably not a pro bowler, but he's okay. So I think that, and I heard it on draft day when they talked about Richardson, they talked about his ability to slide in and compete at guard. Um, But we mentioned earlier, he's a tackle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I said throughout the offseason, I thought they should draft a right tackle. Jeremy Parnell is an older player, uh, a guy who had a lot of braces on last year, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Elbow and knee. And is a $5 million cap hit, which is not, it's not huge for an offensive tackle in this day and age. But for a team that's getting up against the cap, right, their cap space is shrinking. I thought, well, if you could draft one, well, then you can move on there. They didn't. They liked Jeremy Parnell. They thought he played well last year, and they are comfortable with him. So Will Richardson is but a luxury. But at 32, you build for the future. Well, that's what Will, Will Richardson is. Absolutely. Right. 19. It would be a perfectly timed transition. I mean, not to rush Jeremy out of the building. No. But it'd be a perfectly timed transition. You get it. It's the way you draw it up, right? Right. I mean, it's draft a fourth rounder, have him develop, have him be ready, 32, 33 out the bit. It's perfect, but it doesn't have to happen right now. He's a tackle, Richardson is, who could, who could play guard, but they don't need him to. What they're trying to do when they say that on draft day is show you the athletic versatility that he has. Mm -hmm. If he doesn't pan out at tackle, which they don't know yet, well, then maybe he could play guard. 
But the thought is, is he's a good enough player that he'll eventually be your starting right tackle. Not yet, because you have Parnell. Again, that speaks to the talent in the funnel. Right. They've got players they can move through. Oh, you read the final back. Ah, jeez. Right. It's not coming. going anywhere. Of course it's like staying. It. <laughs> I'll have a graphic for that next week. <laughs> Anything else from the zone or are we done with this? Let's do a Facebook comment. Oh, I got a few good ones. Good. They're addressing tight end here. David, ASJ was a monster against our Jaguars. D, he was a problem for us when we played the Jets. Mm-hmm. He had a 27-yard catch, his longest of the season, right in the middle of the field. And Miles Jack was back in coverage, and Barry Church came up. And they were they it was pretty good coverage on the play. Mm-hmm. However, he got up above it. He's big. Big. And he got up, he's six foot seven, and snared the ball in for a big first down on a drive at the end of the second quarter. That's what's been missing, that down the seam tight end. This is a guy who can get there. And as you said, Brian, they also believe he can block. Yeah. So two hundred and seventy pounds. I was told I said, Can he give you what Mercedes Lewis gave you in the ground game? I didn't get well, no, but we're not asking him. I didn't get he like close, I got he's two seventy. Yeah. Right. That was the answer. Of course he is. Of course yeah. he is. <laughs> he can do it. I believe he can. We'll see. What else you got? All right. We got a last Ozone here. Rick. Oh, do you think the Jazz would be willing to enter the season with just Leonard Fournette, TJ Yeldon, and Corey Grant at running back, plus a fullback, to keep more talented players at other positions? We talked about this earlier. With the Sounds like it. Uh, yeah. And the thing to remember at running back is not all positions are created equal in terms of being able to replace in this league. Um Running back is definitely a spot where if you are in a bind in training camp after the preseason, often guys are available. If you need somebody just to run, you can usually find a guy just to run. The trick with a running back is finding somebody who can fit into a complex offensive system. If they get in a bind and realize, you know what, the guys we have on the roster can't do it, that is a position you can pick up late in training camp or right before the regular season, as long as you're looking for a backup. Perfect example, and I can't think of the name. Maybe you can help me with this. The running back from Notre Dame, who we had on the roster here. In Jerome 20- Bettis. No. no? Okay. In 2016. He had, what do you have, like 183 yards rushing on a Sunday night football game yeah. for the Patriots. And then, and, and then he was gone the next year. He went to Miami, and then he ended up here. And the name is escaping me, but uh, short guy, stocky. Yeah, you can find running backs. I'm drawing a blank, and, but you can and, definitely and find. The fact that we can't you can think, find Jerome Bettis. The fact that we can't think of his name proves your point. Yes, which is you can find running backs who can come in and give you something in short order. Right, there's a lot term. of guys out there who can run on the street. Right. The, the issue is, can you find a guy who can pick everything up? In this offense, if you're just asking a guy to run, you can pick a guy up. I don't I think, think they'll. I don't think they're looking to do that though. Clearly, they're fine with what they've got. Mm-hmm. They like T.J. Yeldon. They know Corey Grant can give them something. And this Tim Cook kid that you keep writing about, I've mentioned Seems a couple times. Yeah. All of a sudden, I'm his fan. Club. What can you tell us about him? He's uh, named Tim Cook. Okay, Arizona State guy, right? I believe so. Oregon State, I thought it was. If you say so, I, that, I believe Ashton's right. I believe oh, you're right. It is Oregon yeah. State. He was in camp last year. Big kid. I was like six foot, kid, six 240. Foot, uh, 240 yes. Yeah, in that range. Okay. So we all told you something about him as we uh, come to the close of the show. There's Tim Cook right there from training camp last year. Zones guy. There he is. Zones he is guy. guy. <laughs> Don't you think there should be a patch Go on that uniform? Run, that Tim. Said, run. This says Zones guy, a big Z. <laughs> kind of like where the captain's patch should be. Zone verified. Zone verified. Like the blue check in Twitter. Yes. I'm going to fix your computer. I don't need your help. And I'm going to sign off this crazy show. Thanks so much for joining us for Jags Drive Time. For Brian Sexton, for Brian Sexton, I'm Brian Sexton. For Ashlyn Sullivan and John Osier, for Joe Fortunato and Mad Max Hockman, we appreciate you joining us today. Talk to you next week.